With Elevate 150 from Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, you can grow financially stronger and so can Redeemer Radio. Visit NotreDameFCU.com slash Elevate. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Pope Francis has announced the year of St. Joseph, and this week, Bishop Rhodes talks about ways we can observe this special year, as well as the virtues of St. Joseph and how everyone can look to him as a model. Then, Bishop summarizes the Committee on Doctrine's recent document on COVID vaccines. He serves as chairman of the committee, and on this episode, he summarizes their moral analysis of the vaccines available. If you have a question you'd like Bishop to answer, submit it at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our Bishop. And one of the things that we're going to talk about today is that this is the year of St. Joseph that Pope Francis has declared. And I was wondering, Bishop, have you ever done like a year of something for the diocese? Not here. In Harrisburg, I had a, a special Marian year. Okay. And it was beautiful, uh, a year in honor of Our Lady. Um, of course, we've participated in the other years that the popes have um, have proclaimed, like the year of the Eucharist. I was actually ordained a bishop during the year of the Eucharist. Okay. So it was wonderful because all my first masses around that diocese, I preached about the Eucharist. Sure. But yeah, the only one that was not a universal year that I ever did was a Marian year in Harrisburg. But here we've had so many other years with the year of the priest and the mm-hmm. year of faith and the year of mercy that I'm always afraid that I'll <laughs> proclaim a year and then and then the Pope's gonna proclaim a year and how are we gonna you. do, yeah, yeah. So I've kind of been reluctant to do that again. Yeah, uh, well, I, I don't think he's done one since, has he done one since the year of mercy? No, I think that okay. was the last. Yeah, so yeah. interesting. The year of faith. Oh, that was under Pope Benedict, wasn't it? Um, and there was the year of St. Paul. The year of St. Paul was under Pope Benedict. The year for consecrated life. Or oh, something like I don't that. remember. Or for... That was Pope Francis. Yep. Okay. Year of consecrated life, yeah. All right. Well, would you like to get us started in prayer? Yes, I thought um, we could pray the uh, prayer to St. Joseph that uh, Pope Francis wrote, and it's at the end of his apostolic letter in which he proclaimed this year of St. Joseph, which began on December 8th. I was surprised we bishops didn't have any heads up. Oh, really? And it's really the, yeah, so it was a surprise. And it's the 150th anniversary of the proclamation of St. Joseph as patron of the Universal Church. And that proclamation... I mean, the, the letter of, of Pope Francis, oh, that proclamation was done by blessed Pope Pius IX. Hmm. And anyhow, that was, uh, the prayer I'm going to do is at the end of Pope Francis's apostolic letter. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail, guardian of the Redeemer, spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary, to you God entrusted his only Son, In you, Mary placed her trust. With you, Christ became man. Blessed Joseph, to us too, show yourself a father and guide us in the path of life. 
obtain for us grace, mercy, and courage, and defend us from every evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I like that prayer. It's short and it's simple, but I think it's a beautiful little prayer. Yeah. And I think it'll be helpful to have a prayer like that as we move forward in this year, something to kind of keep in, a, I don't know if it's something that people want to pray daily or if it's going to be part of your mass or preparation for mass or anything like that, you know, because um, I think one of the things as a layperson, we declare this the year of St. Joseph, and I imagine we'll be hearing a lot about St. Joseph because of that, but kind of one of my questions is what should we be doing as well to learn about St. Joseph, to pray for his intercession, and hopefully today's show will be a, a good resource for us to turn to as far as some things to think about. Because I feel like a lot of times we don't think about St. Joseph. We don't talk about him as much as Mary, for example. Right, because we don't have a whole lot about him right. in the scriptures. So yet it's it's interesting how how often a lot of the saints and uh, popes have written a lot about St. Joseph. So even though there's not a lot in scripture, there's been a lot of reflection. But I think to answer your question, Kyle, Pope Francis mentioned three things in his apostolic letter. Basically, the purpose of the apostolic letter, or I guess we could say the aim of this year of St. Joseph. And he said, number one, to increase our love for this great saint. Mm -hmm. Number two, to encourage us to implore his intercession. Mm -hmm. And three, to imitate his virtues and his zeal. So I think ask that question, how can we, how, how can lay people or any of us mm -hmm. observe this year? I think especially to, to pray to him, to implore his intercession, mm -hmm. as Pope Francis says. Uh, there's various prayers we can say. There's a litany of St. Joseph that's very beautiful. Maybe just that simple prayer that I just said. I think another thing uh, to increase our love for him is just to kind of develop a relationship with him. You know, did you ever have a spiritual conversation with St. Joseph? It's uh, kind of a neat thing. I can't to say do. that I have. You know, it's interesting. Think about it because as a husband and as a father, for mm -hmm. example, you can relate to him. I mean, he's, you know, especially when you're, there's maybe something that you're thinking about. I say this to any of the husbands and fathers out there. Maybe there's something you're, you're struggling with or trying to live your vocation as a husband or as a father. Talk to St. Joseph about it, mm -hmm. you know, seek his his advice, his intercession. Think about how he might have handled a situation. Right. And then there's the imitation of his virtues, especially his zeal. Mm -hmm. You know, you can think about his virtues. There's there's several. Pope Francis talks a lot about his his tender love. He was a loving father. He was a, a loving husband. He showed courage, he, the courage of faith. Let me give a little example. The passage we're all familiar with in the Gospel of Matthew in the first chapter where he discovers that Mary is pregnant. <laughs> of course, he was, according to St. Matthew, he was a just man. He was a righteous man. 
And really, he loved Mary. You know, what was he going to do? It was pretty troubling news to find out that his betrothed was pregnant and he didn't understand. So it was really a, a troubling situation. So what does a good person, what would a good man do? A just man, a righteous man. That's how Matthew described him. He was trying to find a way out of this dilemma, how to deal with this problem. And he wanted a solution that would respect the dignity of Mary, that would respect her integrity. So we decided that he would divorce her quietly. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting I think that's probably, you know, humanly speaking, what else? But God had a better solution. (laughs) And, of course, we all know the story. Joseph was in, in a dream. The angel of the Lord came to him and revealed to him that the child in Mary's womb was conceived through the Holy Spirit. And God gave Joseph the solution to his dilemma. He should still take Mary as his wife, take her into his home. And that's what Joseph did. He totally trusted God. He obeyed the angel's words. He did as the Lord commanded him. So that was his immediate response. He didn't hesitate. When he woke up, he trusted in God. He obeyed him. So this is strong faith. This is courage. And I think when we talk about the virtues of Joseph, that's the first one that comes to mind. So when we're in difficult situations, in humanly challenging situations, we have problems, we can look, I think, to Joseph for assistance, for strength, for courage. Think about his unwavering trust in God. And uh, it wasn't like Joseph just said, okay, this is God's will. It wasn't what we would call passive resignation. It was zeal. He responded with zeal, and he acted, you know? And I like to think about, it's good, I think, to imagine his life, because we have to fill in the the blanks in the scripture that we know he, he traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem for the census. That was not an easy journey. He undertook that difficult journey with his pregnant wife, And then searching for a place for her to give birth. And there's no room, Mm -hmm. no room in the inn. But that didn't deter him. He found this this, uh, stable and he built a manger or or he fixed the manger up. He made it, as Pope Francis uh, says, a welcoming home for the Son of God to come into the world. So I, I think just that part... I mean, we could go on about other things in Scripture, you know, the massacre of the innocents, the different other dreams that Joseph had, how he protected Jesus and Mary. But I think looking at the Christmas story itself, maybe when you place that figurine of Joseph in the manger, to think more about what he, what he must have felt. You know, we don't have any words of his. He was a man of silence in a sense, and, and really... This time at Christmas, how important it is for us to find silence and Mm -hmm. prayer, to ponder the mystery of Christmas, the mystery of the incarnation. And I think Joseph is is a a model for us, that aura of silence around Joseph. I think it suggests, and I think it was John Paul II who said this, 
that Joseph's silence suggests a profound interior life, that as active as he was, he was a worker, he was a carpenter, he had this profound interior life. And that is what nurtured his faith. He was open to God's grace that made him holy and strengthened him to live this incredible vocation to watch over Jesus and Mary with such love and devotion. Well, and we talk about Mary being chosen and preserved from sin. And while the church doesn't teach that Joseph was without sin, if I understand correctly, uh, he was still chosen to be the earthly father of Jesus. So I imagine he was special in some way, in the way that God protected or guided or inspired him to make good decisions, not only for himself, but for his family. Yeah, I mean, I do believe that. I mean, it wasn't just random. I, I do believe that <laughs> was this, was part of, this was part of God's plan. In other words, in God's plan, Joseph was chosen to be the earthly father of his divine son. I don't think God would have just let oh, whoever. <laughs> he know. wasn't just in the right he, place at the right time. <laughs> right, right. I mean, he entrusted his son. God the Father entrusted his son and his son's mother to the loving care and protection of, of this just man, this righteous man. And I do believe God did give him special grace. I think mm-hmm. he prepared Joseph with his grace for his unique vocation. And the thing is, Joseph responded to that grace. Now, I think the one thing that God was, you know, it was going to be a man who was of the line lineage of King David because that would fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. Mm-hmm. If you remember in the the prophet Jeremiah, I mean, there's several prof, uh, prophets who mentioned this, but the prophet Jeremiah said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous shoot to David. As king, he shall reign and govern wisely. He shall do what is just and right in the land. So Jeremiah proclaimed that the future Messiah, the future king, would be David's descendant, and he would bring justice, righteousness. Well, wouldn't you want a man who was just and righteous to be his his father? I think that's um, how I would answer that question, that this was all part of of God's purpose. Mm-hmm. And we have quotes from... Mary, from Jesus, obviously, from other people from the Bible and saints. Uh, We don't have any quotes from St. Joseph himself in Scripture, and there isn't a whole lot that we know about him, as far as I know, after like the finding in the temple, or the losing Jesus in the temple, is kind of where he drops off in the the biblical narrative. Are there any other stories of St. Joseph outside of the Bible that might give us a little bit more context into his life? Well, I think there's some apocryphal works. Uh I I really don't remember. You know, we can't really trust the truth of apocryphal works. Sure. You know, I would surmise that he died. You know, we don't know when he died, but but I think it was before Jesus's public ministry. Mm -hmm. So sometime before Jesus was 30 years old. For example, very early on, Jesus's first miracle, the wedding feast of Cana. Mm-hmm. I think if Joseph was alive, he would have been invited. He yeah. would have been there. <laughs> he would have been know? part of the story, yeah. Right. But no, we don't know a whole lot. I, I think 
some of the early fathers and doctors of the church reflected on Joseph, and but they really used what was known from the scriptures. Okay. They didn't speculate, but there would be speculation in the uh, apocryphal books that we can't really trust the veracity of those those speculations. But there are these other things we do know from the infancy narratives. We know he was there. Obviously, he was there at the nativity mm-hmm. when the shepherds came and adored the infant in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. He was there when the Magi came, presenting gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Mm-hmm. We know he was there, and and uh, we had the uh, the gospel account of the massacre of the holy innocents and how St. Joseph protected Mary and Jesus in the flight into Egypt, and then the dream that he received to go back, you know, after the after Herod had died. And so again, another long journey back, and then eventually to Nazareth. We do know he was a carpenter. That's, that's uh, said in the New Testament. Obviously, he would have taught that trade to, to Jesus. Jesus was known, and we know from the scriptures, as the carpenter's son. Mm-hmm. Oh, the finding of the child Jesus in the temple. Obviously, that was when Jesus was 12 years old, when Jesus said that he had to be about his father's business. So I think Joseph would have died somewhere between when Jesus was 12 and when he was 30. There's a beautiful painting, by the way, of the death of St. Joseph in the Basilica of the Sacred Heart at Notre Dame. I always stop in front of that. It just shows the tender love of, well, the beautiful love of of Jesus and and Mary and their grief at Mm. Joseph's death. Is there any other artwork or books or any other resources that you would suggest that we use to reflect on in this year? You know what I would recommend as far as uh, something to read is the... The apostolic, I think it was an apostolic exhortation or apostolic letter of of Pope John Paul II. It's called Guardian of the Redeemer, Guardian of the Redeemer, Redemptoris Custos in Latin. And I think it's a beautiful document about Joseph's life. It's basically St. John Paul's reflection on Joseph as a father, Joseph as a the guardian of the holy family. Also, he writes about the marriage of Mary and Joseph, the contemplative side of Saint Joseph. I find that to be a, a you know a good good meditation. So I would recommend that. There's also the popular book, the consecration to Saint Joseph, a 33 day consecration by Father Donald uh, Holloway, and I think that. You know, some people may want to choose to do that consecration, to do maybe count back 33 days from March 19th. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it on the top of my head here, but <laughs> and there's some prayers and reflection for that you do for 33 days, and then you can pray the prayer of consecration. Or perhaps do it before the other feast of St. Joseph, May 1st, the feast of St. Joseph the Worker. Now, the primary feast, though, is March 19th. That's when we honor him as the earthly father of Jesus and the husband of Mary. On May 1st, we honor him as, you know, the example of of the worker. But those on the liturgical calendar, those are the two celebrations of St. Joseph. 
But, you know, there's also uh, other popes in that who have written about St. Joseph. I would suggest reading Pope Francis's apostolic letter mm -hmm. that just came out where he uh, proclaimed this year of St. Joseph. It's called Patris Corde, with a father's heart. Patris Corde, with a father's heart. And you can get that on the Vatican website very easily. I imagine you can get John Paul's Redemptoris Custos on the Vatican website as well. Yeah, it's an apostolic exhortation, like you said, and it is available on the Vatican website. I pulled that up. Also, you mentioned Father Calloway's book. If you go to consecration to Saint St. St. Joseph.org, consecration to St. Joseph.org, you can get the book. There's a lot of information there, as well as a chart for when to start to end on different feast days. So if you oh good if you start January first, you would end on the presentation of the Lord February second. If you start January or February fifteenth, you would end March nineteenth for the Solemnity of Saint Joseph. There's Saint Joseph the Worker and some other dates that you could end on for that consecration. So you can check that out again. Consecration to st joseph.org for that Kyle I'm glad you mentioned the presentation he was there too oh yeah <laughs> I yeah. forgot about the presentation of the child Jesus in the temple but also he was you know at the circumcision of Jesus hmm. because remember the angel had told Joseph in the dream that he would name that he was to name the child Jesus right now only the legal father would have that kind of authority, by the way. So this is making very clear okay. that Joseph was the legal father. So, I mean, God was the true father, but I mean, Joseph was a true father in a sense, but not biological father of, of Jesus. But that idea of, of naming him is significant. So I want to mention Joseph there at the circumcision, and maybe he did the circumcision, I don't know. Huh. Uh, you know, those are all, all kinds of things. When you start thinking about these things and meditating on them, sometimes you, you have a lot of questions. Right. Like, you know, and I, I wonder if that, Joseph did that, you know. Um, I have a friend, a religious sister, and uh, she's a sister of Christian charity. Their mother house in, in the United States is in Mendham, New Jersey. So I, I knew them quite well. They were, they were teachers and had a hospital in the Diocese of Harrisburg, wonderful sisters. One of the sisters, Sister Mary Dominic, and I knew her since I was a young priest before I was a bishop, and she's now in Germany at their at their mother house in Germany for the whole order. It's in Paderborn, and she'll write to me uh, emails like every month or two with a reflection on Saint Joseph. Hmm. She's been doing this for years, wow. and it's all just her own imagining different scenes in the life of the Holy Family. Huh. And they're really beautiful. I was trying to convince her to publish it. You know, it's not, I mean, it's fiction, but I'm based on, it's kind of like historical fiction, but beautiful spiritual insights about St. Joseph. But she won't, no, she won't. She told me, no, no, no. She didn't want to have it published. So it's just her personal reflections, but I keep, I've kept them. So it's that kind of devotion is really, is really neat. Yeah. So one of my favorite titles for St. Joseph is The Terror of Demons, which I, I kind of <laughs> wonder why he has that title and not like St. Michael the Archangel or any other saints for that matter. Why do you think St. Joseph is Terror of Demons? You know, I'm sure there is a reason. Uh, I, I don't know it. I'd have to research it. But you know one thing that 
the devil hates humility. Huh. And, you know, because pride is the capital sin. Right. And, and the devil can work when we have pride. He can work, he can, you know, tempt us in ways that he, he kind of sees our pride and he can use that to tempt us into other sins. Well, there's no pride in Joseph. And maybe that's why he's the terror of demons. I don't know. I mean, that's just my own speculation. I could be totally off on that. Yeah. But it might be interesting to, to research that title, though. It's in the litany of St. Joseph. That's where it comes from. Yeah. So I think you mentioned as a father and a husband how I can relate to St. Joseph and ask for his intercession for me as a, as a father. What would you suggest uh, a, a woman reflect on when thinking about St. Joseph and honoring him, during, especially during this year of St. Joseph? You know, when you asked that question, I thought immediately of the homily I gave at St. Joseph High School. Remember, I think we talked about this on a pre- prior show where I said to the- Oh, right, about to dating. The, to, about the female students, I said, yeah, when you're looking for a guy to date or to marry, look for one who's like St. Joseph, who has the virtues of Joseph. Right. And I explained them. I talked about chastity. I talked about Joseph's purity, about his faith, those things. And uh, But it was so funny when I'd meet the guys in the hall after mass, they, they said to me, Bishop, that's a really high bar right. <laughs> to be like St. Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I like your question. I'd have to think about that a little bit. I mean, obviously a married woman, I think would be, inclined could be uh, pray to St. Joseph for her husband. Mm-hmm. I think that's good. But I also think that to experience his, his tender love, I mean, Joseph's love for Mary mm-hmm. was such that I think women can relate to, especially that part of, of St. Joseph, that he's a tender guardian. He protects us. He brings us God's protection. I do think like this religious sister that I mentioned, this sister of Christian charity, she obviously has a relationship with with St. Joseph. Mm -hmm. And I think she sees him as like a father in her life. You know, besides her own biological father, I I think she experiences St. Joseph as her spiritual father. Joseph is a reflection of God the Father. So... Yeah, I think it is good for, I think Joseph has meaning for all of us, men and women. As I said, husbands and fathers, also priests and bishops. You know, Mm -hmm. we're called to be spiritual fathers. And we can look at those virtues of Joseph. And their virtues needed of, of spiritual fathers as well. And we can ask for his intercession in, in that way. Well, we've been talking about the year of St. Joseph, and people might be assuming that that's the year of 2021. It actually started December 8th, 2020, and will continue until December 8th, 2021. And so that will be the year of St. Joseph that we're currently in. And maybe just to wrap things up, there's been just maybe a few things that Pope Francis has suggested. He's being, is it added to the litany of saints? for the Eucharistic prayer? Pope Francis did that. First of all, it was during the Second Vatican Council back in 1962 when Pope St. John Twenty-Third added St. Joseph's name to the Roman canon, the first Eucharistic prayer. 
It was not long after becoming Pope that Pope Francis added St. Joseph's name to the other Eucharistic prayers. Okay. That's already been done. So in any Eucharistic prayer, Eucharistic prayer two, three, or four, we always add St. Joseph after mentioning the commemoration of the Blessed Virgin Mary. We always say, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse. That's right. Okay. And then is there anything else that you would suggest or a heads up that people can expect for the year of St. Joseph? No, I don't know if there's going to be any. I mean, we're still in the midst of the pandemic, of course, and that makes everything more challenging. But, um, right. you know, I was thinking especially of the the parishes in our diocese that are named, you know, for St. Joseph or under his patronage and also St. Joseph High School. Uh, I was thinking one thing off the top of my mind was why not make a visit to those churches named after St. Joseph sure, sure, or the chapel at St. Joseph High School, which has a, a beautiful painting of what we call the Annunciation to Joseph, Joseph sleeping and the angel appearing to him. Mm-hmm. All right. Great suggestions. And yeah, maybe uh, we can have some of those images and uh, pull some of those up and share those as well as the year progresses. Just a reminder, if you have any questions for Bishop, you can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And the USCCB's Committee on Doctrine has released a statement about vaccines for the coronavirus. We'll be talking about that and more coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and Bishop, you are the chair of the Committee on Doctrine for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, the USCCB, and there was recently several different statements that have come out, and uh, maybe we'll talk about some of the other ones in the future, but one I know that a lot of people have either been wondering about or would be good to be informed about is a statement about the vaccines. And we talked about this a little bit on the December 2nd episode, uh, but thought maybe it was worth revisiting. Maybe there's a little bit more information to talk about as well for the, the COVID-19 vaccines. Yeah, we just put out a uh, our moral analysis. Before we kind of talked about how, you know, it was permissible for Catholics to receive the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines. We explained it a little bit, but we got into a more, a deeper moral analysis. And so you can get that on the USCCB website. It's called On the Use of the New COVID-19 Vaccines. The chair of the Bishop's Pro-Life Committee also uh, signed this, uh, this statement. Okay. But basically, I think it's important for people to know that way back in April, we, four of us bishops who are chair of, of uh, major committees at the USCCB, wrote to the Food and Drug Administration asking to help ensure that, that Americans would have access to vaccines that are free from any connection to abortion, mm-hmm. to try to use cell lines that don't involve cells from abortions, et cetera. And there are some pharmaceutical companies that have been working on a vaccine for COVID-19 that don't use cell lines that are compromised in that way. Now, we were really following the guidance of the Holy See, 
both the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith and the Pontifical Academy for Life about the question of what's morally acceptable here. Is it morally acceptable to receive a vaccine that's been created with the use of morally compromised cell lines? And both the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith and the Pontifical Academy for Life emphasize how we should try to be distant from such things. We should normally try to avoid cooperation with uh, as much as possible with someone else's evil actions. But at the same time, the Holy See points out that there's varying degrees of responsibility in cooperating with evil actions of others. I mean, anytime you or I go to Walgreen or to uh, CVS and we buy something, we, we're remotely cooperating with evil because they sell contraceptives. Mm-hmm. I don't know, they might sell abortion pills, whatever. Right. Um, when we pay our taxes, that's material cooperation because some of that tax money is used for immoral purposes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's part of life, unfortunately. And so we call this remote material cooperation with evil, which is permissible in certain situations. Obviously, when you're in a situation, and and the Vatican dealt with this with the vaccine for German measles, uh, rubella, where you have cell lines, vaccines created from cell lines of illicit origin. However, if you you look at, well, why would you even use it? Well, if there's a serious danger, if there's a... uh, it could be justified, you know, like in, there's a very da- uh, serious danger of the spread of rubella. And that danger is what's called congenital rubella syndrome. And that affects unborn babies when their mothers become, if their mothers become infected while they're pregnant and they can contract that and it can cause a miscarriage or other birth defects. And the only available vaccine that's been developed was with the help of aborted fetal cell lines. Uh, so parents, according to the teaching of the Catholic Church, parents are justified in having their children vaccinated against rubella, not only to avoid the effects of rubella on their children, but secondarily, but just as importantly, to prevent their children from becoming carriers of rubella. Mm-hmm. As I said, the spread of rubella could lead to the infection of vulnerable pregnant women in, endangering their lives and the lives of their unborn children. But when you think about the, the vaccine for rubella or the vaccine for the new COVID-19 vaccines, they do not involve cells that are taken directly from the body of an aborted child. Okay. You know, I've had people who say, oh, how can you use? No, no. The, <laughs> these cells were taken from two abortions back in the 1960s that were replicated and that might've been miscarriages. We don't know if it was abortion or miscarriage. Hmm. And they were replicated in a laboratory to produce these two cell lines that can be reproduced again and again and again indefinitely. So in order to make the rubella vaccine, they would, cells from these cell lines are stimulated to produce the chemicals necessary for the vaccine. So we have to get rid of that erroneous idea as if, making this vaccine requires more cells from more abortions. No. Okay. So we have this situation today with the pandemic. This is very similar, similar circumstances as uh, those that are posed by rubella. First of all, at present, we only have these three vaccines. There's no available alternative vaccine right now that has absolutely no connection to abortion. And yet we have this serious public health risk. Millions of infections worldwide 
hundreds of thousands of deaths in the United States alone, over 300,000. And someone might say, well, I don't really need it. I'm in good health and all that. Well, the, the more important effect may be the protection that this would offer others in case we got the virus. Mm-hmm. I want to make a distinction, though, between the three vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna didn't even use these morally compromised cell lines in the design, development, or production of the vaccine. Okay. AstraZeneca, the third, did use these morally compromised cell lines. So if possible, I think we should try to get the Moderna or the, um, the Pfizer vaccine. But in the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine, they did use an abort this uh, cell line in tests, confirmatory tests about the uh, whether the vi- vaccine was effective or not. So we couldn't say that that these vaccines are completely free from any connection to morally compromised cell lines. But it's a very remote mm-hmm. cooperation, very remote from the initial evil of the abortion. Now, when you look at the AstraZeneca vaccine. They did use an aborted cell line in the design, development, and production of the vaccine, just like the current vaccine for rubella relies on morally compromised cell lines. So if there's something else available, it's better to use something else. It could happen, though, that someone doesn't have a choice. You know, maybe in where they live, the only vaccine available is AstraZeneca, and the Vatican and you know, has said this is still remote cooperation and is permissible because of the lack of alternatives and because of the serious risks to public health. Now, one has to be careful to not become complacent about about this in the sense that um, we, we are going to be very strong. This uh, this doesn't shouldn't weaken in any way our opposition to the evil of abortion. It should not weaken our opposition to using fetal cells in research. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one thing we say in this document, that even though it's morally permissible to be immunized against COVID-19, actually, it's an act of charity. It's an act of not only love of self, but love towards others getting vaccinated. But we're not in any way saying we approve of the evil action that took place 50 years ago when a child was aborted. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, the child wasn't aborted in order for their cells to be used, but still the child was aborted. And we should avoid using uh, you know, cells or using fetal cells in medical research. Right. And I know you said that when they first started doing this research, the bishops issued a statement saying, please don't use these cell lines. Obviously, you know, they still did in some cases or to some degree. Is there any outlet for us to accept the vaccine, but to it doesn't do any good to write a letter or submit something somewhere to say, hey, really wish you would stop using these cell lines that come from yeah. fetuses? Yeah, I think it's good. I think we should. I mean, I like we did back in April, but but we've been doing this for years. Yeah. Uh, the bishops have been, you know, saying not to use 
illicit cell lines for uh, medical research, and the Vatican has been saying this. And I think the more people are complain about it, maybe there'll be more pharmaceutical companies, especially. And and really, ha- we have we have pharmaceutical companies right now, uh, still working on a COVID vaccine. And I'll be happy when those vaccines are approved, if they get approved. Sure. It just so happens that the only ones approved right now, the only ones being distributed are three that have some connection. But I do think there is a difference, too. I mean, there's, there still is, it's still, the, the cooperation is still remote, two especially. I mean, the, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, it's very remote cooperation. So you said there's no moral reason that we should not take it. Would you say right. that we're morally obligated to get the vaccine? You're saying that this is an act of charity. So is it a moral obligation to receive the vaccine? I think we have a moral responsibility to protect others from the virus. Mm-hmm. I think the, obviously the vaccine is, is, is the, probably the, the, the best way to protect ourselves and others. Some people are choosing not to get the vaccine because they, they're afraid of, of the side effects or they, for other reasons. I, I would say, though, if one chooses not to get the vaccine, one needs to be really diligent about distancing, about wearing a mask so that they are not unwittingly infecting others. I know so many people who've gotten very sick. Mm-hmm. I know some people who have died, who've been infect, who were infected. They were in situations where, you know, perhaps they wouldn't have been infected if others were wearing masks and keeping a distance. Right. All right. Well, I will have the links to the documents here that we t- talked about, as well as the, the papal documents that you mentioned earlier on St. Joseph. We'll put those in the show notes. People can find those at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop, or if you're listening to this on podcast right now, you can just click on the show notes for this episode to find that information. Any other advice or suggestions for people about the the vaccines or about these cell lines or, I guess, about St. Joseph before we end? No, I just, you know, we're at this Christmas time. I think, uh, you know, the the joy of Christmas, even in the midst of a pandemic, let's not let the pandemic stifle the joy of uh, of this beautiful, beautiful feast. You know, the, the light of Christ still shines. I think it was Pope Francis recently said that, uh, that the uh, no pandemic and no crisis can stifle, can extinguish the light of Christ hmm. at Christmas. And I think we that's important to remember. And I wish everyone that this, not just Christmas Day, but the beautiful season of Christmas, to continue to celebrate Christmas all the way up till the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. So, so everyone, I yeah, I would just wish you all a very blessed Christmas and a very blessed Christmas season. And the Feast of the Holy Family on December 27th, the Sunday after Christmas, is a beautiful day to to. Also, you know, invoke the intercession of St. Joseph, the guardian of the Holy Family and the guardian of the church. Very good. All right. If anybody has a question, you can text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And before we go, could we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. 
and with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Take care. For a link to the USCCB document regarding COVID vaccines, check out the show notes. You'll also find links to the Pope's recent apostolic letter announcing the year of St. Joseph, John Paul II's apostolic exhortation on St. Joseph, and a link to Father Calloway's Consecration to St. Joseph website. Listen to Truth in Charity anytime by doing a search on your favorite podcast app. Then hit subscribe and you won't miss a new episode. Our entire archive is also available at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. While there, you can also submit a question you'd like Bishop to answer on a future episode or suggest a topic you'd like Bishop and Kyle to talk about. Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Elevate 150 Financial Checkups at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Here's how it works. Go online and schedule a 30-minute phone call. They'll guide you through your credit report to find ways to improve your financial health. Then they'll send $150 in your name to Redeemer Radio. For information, visit NotreDameFCU.com slash elevate. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame FCU.